0: This Cloud 2030 session is a really interesting discussion about innovation and the effect of different technologies on the future of innovation. So we we explored, uh, really for 50 minutes, how uh, our technologies and the way we consume them as services impact uh, how products are brought to market. And we dive into Edge and serverless technology and amazon and kubernetes and the the whole innovation model we started from that place because that's where we left the conversation and then really started pulling into the tech and got down in the weeds in this conversation which is good Uh, at the end mark uh, Teeley pulled us back up a bit talking about financial incentives and uh, financial controls and ownership of technology and portability of protocols. so um, really a wide-ranging conversation hope you enjoy the, the different perspectives that are shared here. I, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, we're, we're watching, we're having some discussions and watching people around the Kubernetes community. And um, there's a lot of desire to use Kubernetes in, um, sorry to jump right into it. Hi. Um, in a, it's there, I have approval to use it you know pound every every peg into 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 all the square holes right mm-hmm. which rich is like that's the story of it every every everywhere so yeah it's like
1: it's fun it's yeah. funny what, it's you like know, I, what I don't
2: I, already have
0: enough scar tissue <laughs> of,
1: course, of course what i keep what i keyed on there was the was a phrase you just sort of glossed over, which is, and I think it's, and I'm hearing it more and more, which I think is going to be a big deal is I have approval to do this. Right. Where it's, uh, I think we're, there are a lot of people figuring out, okay, who really got control here and what can I do?
0: That's the, it's, it's the classic um, way that we, we enabled uh, shadow IT, right? Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you and know. the and the pandemic and the pandemic sort of brought that on. We that at Lenovo with the with a cl- with sort of cloud spend on everybody went, you know, rightly so, right? Everybody went all out, and then 2021 we're starting to see people go. I spent how much? I did what? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time we take. Maybe it's time we step back and see where we put all of this stuff and what we really need and where it's all going and. Why does why does Joe have a credit card like that? That's that
4: he's able to just go buy all that stuff with. <laughs> I got one answer. Take that credit card, come to me, and let me do it for you.
1: No problem. I filled it up <laughs> with all my Robin Hood winnings.
4: <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. That's right.
0: Does anybody out of curiosity I does anybody have Hood. a have a position? That did, did anybody did anybody jump on the the bandwagon?
4: No. Uh, I'm not stupid.
3: Yeah, there's there's two issues here. One is governance of spend, and one is governance of uh, the technology that's being used. And there's yeah, totally different things. Both relevant,
1: right? It's uh, you actually. I mean, that's a that's a really good way to look at it too. Um, And then you go back to what Rob was saying: is okay. So who do I go to for who, who needs to go to approval on that? Right for each.
0: This it, is—it's it's interesting because I think where we're where where this is going is actually going directly into the the, the thread I wanted to pick up from last week um, about OpEx CapEx and and the change to the innovation cycle. Um, let me let me let me tee that up and, and dive in because because I've been thinking about it all week and it's it it fascinates me. Um, Last week, the back half of the, the discussion, we, we got into a, a CapEx OpEx conversation. And my big takeaway from that was that we have fundamentally changed the rules by which we're, we're investing in innovation. And you can give me counterexamples all you want, but fundamentally what we're, when, we're, when we're looking at, at big ideas in the future, we're assuming that you are going to have to build a whole bunch of infrastructure to, to do it. Or even if you wanted to, you wouldn't, it would be a bad idea, which is the, it's the mentality that's important that what you would do is you would build you're, you're innovating on something on the assumption on the assumption that it's going to be, it could be built on borrowed infrastructure, pay as you go, right. That, that you'll, you'll give up incremental revenue to grow the idea. Um, and that you're gonna proceed it in much more incremental steps. So I, I think like the whole way people, are, and I know this from VC funding models, it's very true that, that when I look at innovation going forward, I don't assume that it's gonna be you know, uh, a big R&D cost followed by a big investment cost where I have to build a whole bunch of stuff and then capitalize on that idea over time. We're, we're looking we're assuming that we can break things into small units and then move much faster through that model. That was my takeaway takeaway from this and that it's significant because now we have fundamentally rethought how uh, how we're investing in innovation. Um, and And I'd love for somebody to say no, that's not right, Rich. It looks like you want to- well, question,
2: yeah. It's yeah. More a question more question of clarification you, you- you're using the term innovation as opposed to, you know, development of a new product. Is that, what, mm. what are, are you drawing a distinction that's specific to innovation?
0: No, I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking of any, any new product. Any, so any, any new, what, what you would have in the past th- thought of, I mean, I'll, I'll make it very specific to how, you know, I deal with things on a, on a, you know, what, what, where my business goes, which is, do you buy a server or not? Um, and and it's funny because you don't have to buy servers anyway. You can get servers without paying money, right? You can rent them, you can lease them, you can do whatever you want. But But the conversation was like, why would I ever spend the time setting something up and creating a data center and those assets? And even if it wasn't an OpEx CapEx thing, it became a, why would I spend my time ever doing that? I can rent that.
5: Just so, focus Bob, on the
0: focus me, on the product. Yeah. Let me give you Great. some
5: practical on what I've learned the, with restarting the CTO Advisor. Primarily we're a uh, marketing company. Uh, right. And that is a direct result of CTO Advisor 1.0. And CTO Advisor 1.0, the idea was that I could do both advisory work 60% of the time, and content strategy, the other 40, 30 to 40% of the time to fill the gap. What I discovered was that the, the speed at which I could sell content far outpaced the speed at which I could sell advisory work. Like it was not even a, it wasn't even a comparison in the And what the market Hmm. wanted versus what i wanted to offer so this comes back to what you're talking about i had a fundamental question in 1.0 when i realized that you would think oh wow just pivot and life is good and i'll continue on well i designed my platform to be an advisory company first yeah so I could not pivot because I did not have the platform to be a marketing company, which needed distribution, blah, 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 blah. So I came to the question that you had, which was build versus buy, or build on someone else's platform. Other successful media companies have built media platforms in which creators can come and add value on top of that. You lose control, so a lot of parallels to uh, enterprise IT infrastructure. If you build the underlying platform, people could come in, and create marketplaces, they can, do, uh, they can create new products and services, but you control the platform and you offer it. So I think the question fundamentally comes by, what product are you building? Are you building a platform? Yeah which I think requires infrastructure investment, or are you building a product or service that leverages a platform? If you're building a platform or if you're building a product or service that leverages a platform, then there's not a lot of value in in buying the bits because someone else can do that better. But if you are the Mm. person, if you're the Facebook, if you're the Google, literally in both senses of the word, you know, YouTube has an advantage of building the infrastructure and they have that product and service that you can build on top of, me, a curator, and then Facebook, the same thing. So there's value in them building that infrastructure is value in me just consuming it and building a product or service on top.
4: So, so, is the, so I think we're going to the, the same question we keep talking about is cloud in many failed models or successful models have started or began, or whatever you want to say, where they consume those resources because somebody else is managing them. AWS is managing, providing that service, Amazon or uh, Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. Versus, do we invest in the engineering time? So, for Keith Townsend's perspective, could he come to me or us or any one of us? and say, hey, I don't wanna do this anymore. I don't wanna consume AWS because I need to think about on-prem solutions just for sake of comparison. I need to think about on-prem per, uh, uh, processes and applications and delivery and all the, those things that go along with that. But I also, and this is a real world conversation I just had in the last 30 minutes. How do we take our on-prem solution and make it SaaS based but have the same code base? <laughs> Let's talk about this <laughs> because the, the the assumption is we'll just invest those engineering time into consuming the resources from AWS and not think about what it means on-prem. You can't do that. that. That's just my opinion. You have to think you're either all in and how you invest in your engineering and how you build your services for that delivery or does that make sense? I, I, I see Rob. It, I it does.
0: No, I, I here's, here's you, are you're, you're asking. I mean, I, I love these because we're, we're, you're, I've been struggling with how to ask this question. Yeah. The, the question to me is, does, does that decision, especially as we get more and more used to it, change the way we think about how we build stuff? I think it does. Like, like I, I, and that, that, this is my, my big aha in this is that we've got, we're getting to a point or we're already there. Where, when you look at how we're going to build build things, it it no longer is the mindset from 20 years ago. It's it's a comp- we're we're thinking of it differently. Like you wouldn't build yeah. Facebook today. Facebook wouldn't buy servers today, Mm-mm. right? They would they would do what Netflix does. Although yeah. interestingly enough, Netflix reached a scale where they're coming back, but Facebook wouldn't have started with their own infrastructure. They
4: right. And Rob, I think you're exactly where I'm at. And then I'll be quiet because I know others want to talk is, is I know I keep talking about this, but it's going back to the point. Let's try to validate it because, you know, you know, looking around the, I'll say the room, (laughs) some of us have been doing this a while. Um, And, and I see both sides of it. And for me as an engineer, do I need to start investing my time somewhere else? I can do both. But again, it goes back to the conversation we had on Tuesday. I can easily become an AWS architect. It's not the same, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. It's not the same as an architect that we have, that we've done for the last 20 years to get us to where we're at, from architecture, building things and all that. Now we're an architect by taking bits and pieces of puzzles that are in AWS services. We're not having to build those. We're just saying, that's how that connects to that. And that's how it works. That's that simple.
5: Yeah, I think, uh, Larry, you're hitting on the key part where I'm struggling with and I, people I talk to are struggling with. What capability do I there's a capability that I want. I want AWS on premises like there's no there's no question about it. If I could get AWS capability, if I could get that abstraction in my data center, I want it, but I also want to own it. Without having the overhead of needing to manage it, and that simply doesn't exist. What we so what we try to do is we build things like Kubernetes, which is a fine effort because it gives it gives us the the abstractions that we want. I just researched CSI for the first time uh, last week, and I'm like, this is wonderful. Like, I would love to to take advantage of C. Uh, uh, CSI in my data center, but I gotta have Kubernetes to do it. So the problem is that you have that, we have this foot in both worlds where we want the conveniences of public cloud in our, but we want it in our data center. And a solution for that just simply doesn't exist. We want SaaS, we want IaaS, we don't wanna manage it, but we want to spend the engineering time consuming that on-premises. And that's a good point. And then again,
4: I keep saying, I'll be quiet, but um, Larry, I don't believe you. I know. Nobody believes me, (laughs) says the Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, I love it. (laughs) Um, You know, the, um, you know, it, it really is because, you know, even us as, as a company, what, you know, me, I struggle day in and day out is do we pivot? Keith Townsend, you brought up a good point because I think, you know, we've had some of these conversations either from afar or, you know, personal is where, where is the value? You know what I mean? You know, from a value perspective, like I said, we can help deliver those things consistently in a format that is consumable on-prem and in the cloud and let us own that, um, those operational and engineering and all that, let us own that so you can get the outcome that you're looking for. But that's not necessarily the route that everybody may want to go, right? The, the reality is you've got all these people that are saying, hey, I'm just going to, you know, I started looking, I joked on Tuesday that I'm going ahead myself and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go as far as I can down to AWS certs. I don't do certs. So this says a lot, at least for me but I'm going to do it because I'm trying to prove a point to myself. And to your point, Rob, is I want to get the aha moment where I'm going, Oh yes, this is because of my stupidity on my part that I'm not seeing the, the realistic view from an application delivery perspective going forward. How we sustain things. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm open-minded enough to hope.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm responding to you, but also Keith's question. Um, my, 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 my thought here, as I I think about, you know, five or 10 years out is that we're getting so used to this consumption model that, that we won't, that the, that the difficulty of not just of doing it, but of finding people or finding investment to do it outside of that model um, is potentially like a, a, big a big shift in how the whole market is structured right i mean the whole thing is like well I, I can't i can't do anything in this environment unless there's a kubernetes i can use i'm just i'm just gonna go home right i mean uh mark I'm trying to find you on the screen um you know we're talking about kubernetes and the edge and how it's you know not a particularly good fit um but yet if what we're saying is true and i can't i, I can't you know take a step out of day one without without that as a service and because I'm not used to building anything it's got to be there then it becomes a requirement because of the innovation culture i keep saying innovation rich and i know that's a limiting word but you know because that the culture is, is basically narrowed me down into this subscription path the idea of building up an infrastructure or you know is is becoming um, uh, that, that this is the trend right the acceleration i see going forward is it doesn't matter if amazon's delivering the right services or not are locked in at some point it's like well that's how we build stuff i, I don't know any other way i don't i don't want to do any other way so i'm just well, gonna... i mean
6: so yeah i i think that's that's easy for uh people that don't have the skills and i, I think your argument is well well taken that the skills will become uh as cycles go uh, less available, um, but then obviously that that drives up the need for uh, as there's some outages like there's always going to be, and somebody like an Amazon says, hey, you know, unless you take advantage of our advanced platform services, when we have an outage, you're fucked. <laughs> and that's the way things are, you know. Um, and more customers are like, well, you know, I don't like that. I want alternatives, um, and then they're going to start looking for the skills and more people are going to switch over and become relevant engineers that can uh, support multiple providers. Um, and uh, I think there's always gonna be fundamentally some businesses to your uh, Keith and Larry's early, earlier examples that are going to, because the type of products they're selling, they have to have their own infrastructure. They have to have their own data centers because their customers demand it. Um, and that's fundamentally part of the product they're selling. Um, for instance, if you're a um, a secure host um, hosting provider, and you you're saying that you have the best security ever, um, not a lot of people are going to really accept that you you know you're using other hosting providers if that becomes a service that you know people are willing to pay a premium for. Which I think probably maybe even the even in the near future, people will. Some businesses want that extra security. Um, the argument of I've spread your stuff over multiple hosting, uh, or, uh, at another host is just, um, is not going to fly for those types of customers. I, I think also something that I, I think we're kind of missing, uh, uh, I think we're at the downside of, a of another, um, innovation, um, uh, wave. Um, we have it. and I, I think the crest will be of that wave will be, um, engineers and this, the skills um, necessary to build your own internal cloud managed service to kind of coin or reuse that phrase um, where you can utilize multiple providers infrastructure as well as your own, as well as your laptop and deploy it um, services on demand and be able to burn that shit to the ground. If you know some jackass um, provider like SolarWinds gets into your infrastructure, you didn't realize it and you can burn it out in a matter of minutes, because it's all container shit. So who cares? I build it all the time. I'll shut down for an hour, figure out some new um, security scans, and scan my shit before I deploy, and I do it again. Um, like, but you know, there's obviously very few companies that do that today. But the demand for it, SolarWinds hack being an example, is certainly there. People just don't, to a certain extent, know how to do it because it's very complicated. But obviously, CI infrastructure, CI/CD it's been around for years just not a lot of people do it because it's expensive and you know it's not using virtual machines and (laughs) it's doing a lot of stuff that's you know expensive engineering time and engineering skills so people don't do it but i think we're at the beginning of i think solar winds probably one of the events their hack is we're at the bottom of a new wave where different companies um as consumers of engineering are going to demand a certain amount of um, capability that right now isn't out there, um, at least not widespread in the marketplace. You got to build your own. Um, There's still not a lot of companies that are willing to build OpenStack because it's expensive, you know, uh, labor-wise and time-wise and maintenance-wise. But, you know, is it necessary? I think so. Um, I wouldn't want to run a large company that was only on one provider, even if it was just me. I think that's nuts. There's just too many different. Uh, better options out there but um if you're if the marketplace is allowing you to uh, using your word drop lulling you into kind of a sleep of saying oh you're good you're with aws we'll keep you nice and happy and then suddenly you realize
0: not so much you know I, yeah well i guess i guess my my point here is that it's it's we're beyond lulled i think we've we've changed the way we approach the problems right it's Mark, go ahead. I I
7: don't. No, I I don't need to cut in. I'm you know I'm just happy to jump in when I get a chance. Um, I I don't know. Uh, You know I don't I don't. I mean we've had so many of these conversations, and I don't uh, pretend to know um, whether I can say with any kind of certainty that um, Amazon and and AliCloud won't end up owning um, the market. I see a lot of reasons why that shouldn't happen. Uh, I see a lot of things that could occur to not make it happen. But I think we, we neglect um, a couple of things. I think we neglect history and I think we neglect opportunity cost um, when we look at existing trends. So let's, let's take a, a opportunity cost approach and just say, what is the cost of um, the opportunity or what's the cost of the opportunity? What's the value of the opportunity for companies approaching the edge, right? And what will they be willing to do? What will their partners be willing to do To enable access or enable that new platform in ways that we aren't considering today, in order to bring that value to more people more quickly. So, um, an example would be that uh, you know I and I talked about that a little bit in my most recent blog. But an example might be if Google had looked and said in 2000 that the only way I can own the global search and marketing market is by having $100 billion worth of data center and infrastructure assets and the people to manage them based on my understanding of those needs today. Today, meaning in 2000, they never would have built it. They never would have built it. And they solved for problems from an infrastructure delivery standpoint and from an efficiency of management of that infrastructure standpoint that effectively enabled them to exist at scale and still to be able to offer us search for free. right? I mean, it's, it's that I see edge the same way. Another way to look at this from a people standpoint is we think all of us believe, I'm not arguing with Larry, I'm not arguing with Keith, all of us believe that it's a struggle to maintain the appropriate resources to attempt to replicate something like AWS and manage it internally. But let's go back in history. It's 1979, 1981, and most of us have MIS departments that are running a mainframe. Mm-hmm. How many of those people knew how to build an inter-office network and, and build PCs and build um, uh, you know small server delivery of applications? How many of them knew coding in individual departments? None of them. It's so much easier to build those skills and the volume of opportunity dictates that no matter how hard the problem appears, solving for that problem is has the value necessary.
0: Actually, your, your case in some ways is compelling around the, the, the thing that we're trying to talk about, which is what happens in the future. There's, there are parallels to what these service providers have built from a mainframe perspective, where we've made this assumption that we have to have a huge footprint of infrastructure, right, a mainframe, in order to accomplish anything, and that we're going to sell timeshares for it, um, and you know, PCs ended up with, yeah, I don't want to be in your in that control model. I want to, you know, it's, you know I can make a small investment and and be successful here. Um, and it was a pretty radical shift, um, and it was a control shift. This this to me, I mean, so that there the capex opex conversation last week started from a will consumers, what is, what causes consumers to regain control conversation, right? That was sort of Tim, Tim's point with, with this, where we, we started was at some point, the buyers will have authority or take authority because they're getting too restricted or it's too expensive. Um, And then, and then we, we went back into, well, it's CapEx, OpEx, we're never going to buy things again. We're just going to keep keep the services model is so entrenched in what we do we're we're, we're addicted to that we're not going to we're not going to go back um and so there's a weird transact there's a there's a transition from that perspective that i'm trying to get a, a feel for
5: so oh, rob I, yeah. I think where me and mark converge is this long arc is where you know we focus the conversation on 2030 mm-hmm. kubernetes the concept will win like that because that's what the market wants, and we're in a market that uh, will build what the market wants. Will it be Kubernetes? I don't know. Will it be open? Will OpenStack come back and 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 and, <laughs> and, and it oh, be boy. that thing?
0: I didn't laugh. Don't, don't worry. Yeah,
5: yeah. I, that part I that don't was know. A pop, right. But, I'm not I, a real believer in zombies. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. You that that took the bait. That concept will win eventually. I think I, I, in the short, we have this debate on whether or not AWS, Ali, uh, Google becomes the the manifestation manifest- of that vision. This whole portable, you know, I wrote 10 years ago that you'll be able to vMotion your entire data center from one provider to another. one, You know, 15 years later, 15 years from now, maybe we'll be able to do it. But that the, I think that concept will will win. We'll have the skill, and vendors will figure it out. I just don't think we're close in the next couple of years of getting getting well, to that place. Let me play devil's advocate then. So,
6: why has serverless? Um, why has hmm. more organizations not uh, adopted serverless?
8: Because it's in the wrong context. Services. It's in the wrong context. Serverless, serverless in the, in, the, in public cloud is 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 really the wrong place for it to exist. Serverless. Okay is going to win at the edge. And it's going to win at the edge because, excuse my language, but Kubernetes is a clusterfuck at the edge.
3: <laughs> uh, and to just furthermore, uh, serverless is um, for new business cases, for specific types of use cases. Um, and uh, just as an example, for machine learning, what I'm seeing is that for data engineers, like Half of data engineers that use AWS use Lambda. So, I mean, it's dramatic how significant the uptake of serverless is for in certain types of use cases, specifically hey, like batch hey, type hey, use cases. Hey, Lawrence,
0: when you, just, when you say use Lambda, I'm, I'm assuming that this is a have some Lambda use as opposed to our Lambda, right? It's not a volume statement. It's a it's a checkbox statement, which is not bad. I just want clarification.
3: It's a checkbox statement. I you know I've, we go into a whole another conversation because I've looked at it in a thousand different angles. So that's yeah. another conversation. No, I I,
0: I yeah. this is my my point here is that and this, but it's significantly important. The ubiquity of Lambda for anybody consuming AWS is a true statement. If you were using, it's just like it's just like. Everybody on the planet, every company is using AWS. That mm-hmm. is a true statement, right? They might not even realize mm-hmm. it, but they're using AWS, hundred percent. The, the, but it could just be that they're using a tiny amount, so they they check box yes, I'm using AWS. And I think Lambda's, I think Lambda's that way. You have some companies that are very in on Lambda and hundred percent, you know, ninety nine percent Lambda. And you have companies that are that are using it to connect two systems together. It actually doesn't make them any less dependent on Lambda.
3: Uh, and I'm with you. So uh, I believe Cloud Health just came out with a study last week saying that uh, Lambda budgets have gone up. Spend median spend on Lambda for people who use companies that use Lambda went up 15% in the last six six months. Among I, would, their I, would, I would
8: buy that. So, so here's, this is the ironical thing about Lambda and serverless. So the concept of serverless invented by a cloud provider for a completely different reason is what is actually going to be its death now at the edge. So the, the, the server, serverless at the edge wins because of its compatibility with distributed applications. The idea of of functions nested upon functions across code and data on a distributed network of computers, it fucking wins guys, I'm telling you, it wins hands down. M- Kubernetes in the, in the monolithic way that we do DevOps today does not work in a world where code and data needs to be highly mobile, or it needs to exist everywhere and anywhere in a moment in time. Serverless is what solves that. Now that's not what Amazon had in mind, by the way. I mean, Lambda, Lambda as, a, as a feature, as a tool set was really intended simply for Amazon to extract greater profitability out of a single machine. So I, I'm curious
2: when you say that what control plane runs at the edge to support serverless. Yeah, and because it, so it isn't, it isn't open it, you, stack. It's not actually, just, John,
4: in addition yeah. to the control. Thank you, John.
2: In, adi- in, adi- uh, in addition to the question, John Sharber uh, just asked to John Cowan. Could you dive a little more deeply into why you think serverless you know, kind of naturally is a is a solution for the kind of distributed so deployment of applications and and yeah, yeah, yeah.
8: it needs so yes, so it's serverless by itself, the concept of Lambda isn't isn't a copy paste to the edge. Okay. It's a it's an it's a component of what the successful edge is going to look like. Yes, there needs to be a control plane. Yes, there needs to be uh, there needs to be uh, accompanying technology that allows um, a certain function to be where it needs to be at any one point in time. There needs to be that backend um, system, if you will, that ultimately you know manages a, a network of uh, serverless functions. So, uh, putting that aside, and I'm, I'm only I'm just describing the the basis of decomposing applications into discrete functions and simply focusing on that, right? And and breaking apart this idea of a monolithic application being deployed to a specific endpoint, right? That concept of what serverless is, is what's going to drive adoption of it and acceleration of the concept of serverless as we move deeper and deeper and deeper into cloud services at the edge. That's what what I'm positing here today. And the
6: service mesh, there's various different open source and products that support serverless networks. Mm -hmm. Um, They're usually called service meshes. Mm-hmm. Um they work. I've actually tested them on my laptop and deployed them to public providers. Um, but it requires somewhat of a um a hybrid skill set, much like nice. when you asked network engineers that had always touched hardware that had Cisco uh degrees or cert- certificates, but they're more like degrees, um, and we're always kept up to date and we're married to that platform, and then suddenly introducing them to something like uh, well, all the various different SDN ideas, open source uh, communities yeah. and everything else. And it was just a huge culture clash. They had no, um, I actually had people quit from various companies when we tried to introduce SDN. Um, just the concept, much less actually applying yeah. it. That just people don't think that way. They're in that Yeah, they don't business. think that way. Yeah, I, I agree. So I, this but is but the same thing. It's a, it's a completely fundamental shift of, um, well, it's a, do- mm-hmm. it's, Forcing a programmer to understand network engineering in a fundamentally low level way and forcing them to decompose their uh their product development in a fundamentally different way. Yes. Today.
8: Today. But but okay. So this is you know, this is a this is a continuum, right? We don't we don't work our industry doesn't work in like phase gate, stair step kind of ways. It's an evolution, it's a curve. And so What's going to what what I believe will happen is the innovation and the, and the money that'll pour into disruption will be focused on trying to make that easy. to Try and abstract that complexity away so that you can get all the benefit of decomposing applications into discrete functions without having to think about all of the things that you need to think about much the same way, quite frankly, the AWS did for virtualization. I mean, I didn't, you know, you don't need to know anything about Zen to be able to use AWS when it, when when it developed a service yeah. uh, for infrastructure. The same will it. happen as as more innovators and thinkers pour into actually cracking the nut for how do I scale applications planet wide um, and make them make my code and data available everywhere and anywhere it needs to be at a moment in time. Right? I, can I just you, make you, a, a simple point? Um, so
6: I have multiple customers that have run into this over the years. And um, one just as recently is just um, yeah, actually I'm working with them right now that's um, because of the way that they they operate and run, my example of Cisco-trained engineers, um, they fundamentally still operate and run that way, whether it's a government institution or um, an organization that's been around for 10, 20 years, they they fundamentally think and operate the same way. They build skills, um, they build out specific departments around those skills and what they manage. And typically still what they're fundamentally based on is, um, is a uh, unit of compute, um, and they're still building servers, uh, physical servers. They just happen to be virtualized. Um, and they still think that way. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have remember the, uh, there's a, a really good, um, uh, discussion about why the space shuttle is the width that it is. And it goes all the way back through history of different, um, examples of, um, why the space shuttle, um, was, uh, the different components of it were shaped the way it were it was, and it's because of the width of the of a horse's ass, and it's because of the size of the roads, and shit had to be shipped to all the way through tunnels and everything else, and so it went back to like it gave a really cool example of um, the space shuttle was actually designed partially by the Romans. Um, it's kind of a, a stretch, but it's it's mm-hmm. the example of people. It's really hard to break the way people think. Yeah. Because of all of these dependencies, and, and fundamentally, still, it's people. Um, they think like I
8: hardware. thought it was. I thought it was because of the configuration of first class seating, but
0: I—that's I <laughs> the dragon module for for that one. <laughs> the uh, but I mean, but and but we treat the we treat these as a negative thing. It is not a bad. It's not. It, there's nothing wrong with that, right? The the fact is that the 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 funk the form. Is following an evolved form that is proven durable over you know, mm-hmm. millennia. Um, yeah. and, but I, I think you know what what John is saying about the serverless stuff. I think is actually the point we started with on steroids, because what we're what we're if if we're saying that I can now innovate because I'm just doing these this little unit and there's a whole bunch of services packed right. The, the challenge is mm-hmm. serverless, which definitely fuels innovation and is great and fast. It relies on services being packed around that, right? The that's Kubernetes right. um, love-hate relationship we're showing, you know, is, is a consistent way to deliver services. So we have functions, we have services, we have infrastructure packed around that. We're moving to a place though, where if we're getting, we're doing micro transactions on serverless, right? That's built on services, that's right. We're, we're in the subscription economy at the end of the day, very few people are, are even gonna worry about what it takes to build that infrastructure yeah, around they, they, it. And they, I think they, we've, we've changed how we're approaching this There's things. some yeah, really
2: pragmatic stuff that's being missed here. And and um, I, I like serverless by the way. <laughs> right. I'm not anti-serverless, but serverless is expensive, sure. right? You, 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 to fire up a serverless function, if you're using something like Knative, you got to fire up a pod in an instance, right? We, we have, When we're talking with the IO guys, talk about how fast it is doing everything in memory and not hitting storage. Serverless is incredibly expensive, right? Very few applications have been written in a serverless fashion. Little functions, things I do based on events, lots of that stuff happens, but there's not applications that are written purely around a serverless space. No one's decomposed their applications that way. Not right? entirely, that's right. The so yeah, so I, I, run I would on agree with that, John. Right? Yeah,
8: I would, I would, agree, I would totally agree with that, John. I, and this is, and again, you know, as technology evolves and innovation is is in, is uh, accelerated and what have you, I think these are all challenges and and whatnot that the that the market will attempt to solve for. Um, even things like cold starts is a big issue, right? In serverless as well, like that's a it's a it's a, a bit of a dog to try and crack that nut too um but um but this is this is you know again we're talking like mid-flight and we're looking at you know cloud 2030 it's early like we have a, almost a decade of evolution to take place and i'm i'm trying to describe the evolution from a a, a macro perspective like where this is going to go and, okay. and, and i'm saying this from the context that if if i'm building the kinds of internet applications in the internet economy that exists is, exists in 2030 it is not going to be how we make money on the internet today. It is going to fundamentally change, right? This is I'm, I I happen to be a very large proponent of the Internet of Things economy, and I hate I don't like the Internet of Things uh, uh, moniker or, or or name, but it is accurate in describing that the future of the internet economy is machines talking to machines, generating utilization and driving money. It's not humans mm-hmm. anymore.
3: John so, really their so Capex yeah. budget or their OpEx budget to pay you? Well, Capex
8: Capex or OpEx, so here's this is what I would this is what I would say. if I if I if I can fast forward in time, I would prefer that I'm occupying a computer for only a microsecond and then I'm gone and I don't have to provision shit and occupy resources and pay for them. That's my ideal environment if I'm building an application that, for instance is, simply applying an algorithm to a a two-second video feed in an urban environment, as an example. I don't want to have, I can't spin up the kind of resources that I do in the cloud today and pay for them. John, what you're thinking of is
6: essentially um, uh, a, a marketplace where um, a lot of the things we're talking about, um, even getting down to um, managing threads is, is all commoditized. Yeah. Um, which I think is totally, doable possible i mean we're we're getting relatively close with serverless um but this this stuff has only been around for like three years um maybe four um if you really think about it really the the concepts were around um we've been talking about them for a decade of you know why, why can't we just manage threads across your data centers i um, mean google operationalized it but um the the commoditization of serverless has not happened yet. It's still uh, to other it's examples. It's, it's expensive. It's so, so uh, but when mobile. we get to that point, it's managing threads across multiple providers. Whether that's mm-hmm. thousands in in the future sense uh, for doing Internet of Things, everything's at the edge, or most a lot of stuff's at the edge. Um, but there's there's still going to have to be. Um, those skills to manage those meshes of threads are still going to be critical. Um, and the latency involved is going to be critical. Um, there's going to be an assumption of almost no latency. So managing that is going to be, it may be commoditized at a certain level. Certainly for the developer, um, they might not understand a lot of what's behind it. We may go back to where, you know, the developer not uh, knowing what a network is, is, is uh, commonplace again um but now that commoditization network of all that stuff is going to be even more critical even more expensive even more valuable to run and manage there may be less people doing it but much like um somebody who has a nuclear engineering degree that can run a nuclear engineering excuse me a nuclear power plant right now it's not extremely valuable because there's just not a lot of them but if you have that skill you're going to be crazy Valuable because it's really important. So um, there just may not be a lot. You know, there may be only two or three of us on this call in 30 years. And that's (laughs) that's possible. You know, so like I,
8: you know, we've been through this before, right? Like we've seen we've seen the multiplier effect on the internet economy when a technology or a service comes along that makes it easier to do stuff that was previously complicated. You know, web services led by AWS and a handful of others is a is a movement that made it possible for a greater number of people, a wider audience to build really cool applications and serve them up to customers. I mean, so, if you think about, if you think about how difficult it was to do that, like in the dot-com era versus post 2005, like, like just this is what I describe as the abstraction away of complexity. Technology moves along a curve as it matures. What it's doing as it grows in adoption it, um, is primarily removing uh, complexity. It's taking away the difficulties that exist. I don't need to be a nuclear science to build facebook.com or whatever the app is. I, I, I don't need to invest millions of dollars in hardware and have my own data center to build pets.com anymore. Right? Th- this is what I'm talking about. And I think that, go ahead, yes, I, Yeah, sir?
0: but, but the, the problem to me is is that there's an assumption based in here that doing those operations keeps getting harder instead of getting, right? So that the, this, is, this is the thing that I, I get frustrated about when I think about the trend line here is that we're making this assumption that running a data center is equivalent to running a nuclear power or nuclear submarine. And instead of mm, no, assuming I that- I wasn't trying that, to make that comparison. Okay, well, but, but I see this happen, right? Instead of it being that the data center, like like this is what the normal trend line is. If data centers are really valuable to businesses, you would think they would become plug and play and easier to operate and drop ship infrastructure. And we're not seeing that trend line. What well, we're, we're seeing do drop, is we're seeing we do
2: drop ship infrastructure. What do you we, we ship racks, right? I mean, we literally drop ship infrastructure. I, I don't know anyone that goes and ra- Well, there's the people that still rack stuff, but I mean, when we build data centers, don't you drop ship a rack? Yep. You that's exactly you, how we did it. There's no, we, no other way to do it. In
0: fact, in a lot of cases wait, wait, we yeah, but, ship but, in rows. but but hold but hold on. I was on a call the other day that um where they were talking about like VX rail. So when people do that, they're buying incredibly expensive pre-wired infrastructure that doesn't compete with Amazon.
5: No. So the, the and
0: that what, that's, the market let forces me, shouldn't be driving that way. It shouldn't be driving to this. towards
2: Go ahead. Yeah, let me, I, I, think, I think there's like, I walked in the middle, I'm sorry, but okay. yeah, so, so the future, what I'm hearing is the future is microservices of the edge. So let me push back on that, right? If I'm doing a data aggregation or data distillation, why would that be functionless? If I'm listening to a constant stream of data from an autonomous vehicle, why, why wouldn't I instantiate an instance instead of trying to react to every event? My, my point being, this is use case specific.
8: So I think I think you're right that it's use case specific. And I think I think when you're when we're having this conversation, it's important to declare what what version of the Internet you think we're talking about or you're talking about. Right. So, um, you know, and again, I, you know, I, when I when I in this context, I you know I'm I'm I am putting forward that I believe that the future of the Internet economy is is in connected things and autonomous things um, that so I, I'm, I have that context in my mind, right? And, and in that context, I'm thinking, how am I going to provision my entire stack to a million endpoints in order to serve that autonomous vehicle that's moving from city to city or region to region? How am I going to do that? Using Kubernetes? Fuck no, I'm not doing that. It's not going to happen. It wasn't built for that.
2: But, I so love it, is, by the
8: way. I'm a huge Kubernetes fan. I'm just going to put but, that but out
2: there. Back, back up a layer then, right? So, yes, you're not going to provision. Well, So, first off, if you're really going to go to the edge in a global fashion, you're not going to configure to a vendor. Right? There's no unique. Amen. AWS That's not, not doable. Yeah. AWS is not going to get you everywhere you need to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you, so if you're talking 2030, what are you going to configure to I?
8: Okay. So I'll say something here that I'll say something here that again, and again, we're, you know, we are, we're forward thinking here. Okay. So, you know, the, the cone of certainty and uh, whether or not we're right or wrong is pretty wide here. But what I'll say is that I think that protocols are going to matter more than products. Okay. And vendors. So much the same way that the that the internet is about protocols and not platforms or products. Um, I think that that the evolution of protocols are going to help with that. But it, it, let me
6: let me add in something that I, I think we're not thinking about products or in a product sense um,
8: or solution, solution sense. I guess I don't you know. Yeah,
6: I, we're thinking as engineers, not as product yeah, yeah. product mm-hmm. managers. Oh, I get you it. Yeah, like I get a it. product guy. Um, we're we're essentially, if I was to kind of encapsulate the typical customer that I think we're talking about. It's more of a, a SaaS, um, you know, uh, a word, well, not maybe a WordPress, but more of a SaaS type customer who has a certain type of expectation of, you know, I'm going to come up with very, um, uh, zero coding types, um, problems. Um, and excuse me, uh, very simple uh engine or uh application type problems and, and i expect zero coding type solutions and so um and i, I think in like sas terms where I, I get software and i don't have to know so much of what's behind it i, I kind right. of like move, like, move more like a, low around. Code,
8: a low code style a low
6: code style of low 100%. code yes thank you so but um that that's just one persona and there's there's certainly there's a marketplace for that, but those people generally don't pay very much for services because they don't understand the value of them. So really their expectation of, um, of uh, complexity and other things is extremely low. And so th- they're going to be the, the $10 a month type of customer that's like an iTunes. Like I, I have uh, for my my uh, iTunes uh, iCloud backup, you know, it's, it's 15 bucks a month. Um, it gives me a, a terrible... Uh, terabyte of storage but my expectations are, are practically nothing um, because I don't expect it to be highly available I expect it to get it eventually if I pull stuff back and I certainly can't get all the terabyte back but right. um, but but for the other personas other customers there's lots of different kinds like um, like a company that's competing with I um, with a, a YouTube like rumble um, their expectations as a customer are going to be incredibly high and, in, and to a certain extent, they have to have their own data centers because mm-hmm. um, at least one of their possible uh, providers of service is their competitor, Google. So uh, at least a major one that has global reach. So they're going to have to have some of their own data center mixed in with some other providers. They're going to have to understand how containers and, and the difference between block and object storage and uh, yeah. how caching works. I mean, there's no way they're going to get away with that. So there's... There's going to be lots of, and obviously that customer is going to be willing to pay 10,000 X to what a a SaaS customer is going to be willing to pay. There's going to be more
5: of those. So I I have a question around like pace of this transition, because I'm looking and we're thinking like engineers are like, okay, the technology itself there, we can and maturing, we can do it. And I just keep harking back how i was in a data center a few weeks ago and i'm looking at a bunch of deck box boxes d-e-c deck boxes yeah. and how i interviewed the folks at capital one and they said it took them seven years to move out of their data centers the scale of where the industry is at and we're talking about 2030 if it took capital one seven years Has the industry created the factory mode to make this transition happen where we're talking about serverless at the edge being mainstream in nine years when they're still very much Solaris running a good portion of mission critical applications? I'm challenging the concept that you know the, the on paper, yeah, this stuff can happen if I'm a if I'm a startup and I can do all of this, but the industry at mass, yeah, Keith, in a
9: word, no, absolutely not, and not in ten years either. The virtual
6: machines will still be around, and or uh, maybe VPS and that kind of uh, concept. But essentially, the concept of the width of the horse's ass still being uh, virtual yeah. machines will still be around totally, in ten years. Totally I agree. don't doubt it.
2: Well, but 100%. I think you got to remember that that half of the existing companies on the S and P five hundred won't be on the S and P five hundred in ten years. That, that their rate and their ability to move sure. and innovate means they'll likely be displaced. So no, I think no. there's I think no. there's
9: some connection between the underlying technology that gets used and the success of the company, but there are also incredibly important and successful companies that are still running on mainframes and there is no impetus or positive business value to make that move so does that mean that they're they're making a poor choice i i don't buy into that because i've gone through that path with a number of companies and it doesn't play out i mean it sounds good theoretically but in reality it just doesn't it doesn't play out now does that mean that that just sitting you know the the converse is true just sitting on that legacy infrastructure is is going to get you where you need to go no it's not the reality is it's something in the middle and the world is getting more complicated and we have to acknowledge that. But I think, you know, this conversation is somewhat, I'll just be candid, somewhat interesting and somewhat uninteresting. And the reason I say that is that I feel like, you know, there's a lot of theoretical that's coming into this uh, conversation, but the one thing that is not being asked, and Keith is kind of in some ways kind of dancing around it, but you know, to be more direct, we're not asking, nobody's asking the question, why? Why is it the case? Sean, I think you, had, you asked the question yeah. way back at the beginning of this of, you know, why are these companies not adopting serverless or CICD pipelines? There's good reason for that. Mm-hmm. But until you understand what's holding that up,
10: it's all theory. But, what, Tim, I, but Tim, to answer to your my point. own, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Oh, Tim. Tim, right. to your point, which I agree with. Why? The, you're asking why haven't I? And I would say why would that? I, 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 I said this in a post earlier. I think we're asking. I think when we look at capex and opex, those are just those are ways that we are paying for things in a way in which, from an accounting perspective, we get the best tax benefit for that, right? So from a capex to opex, that's tax-driven, bookkeeping-driven right it's not it's nothing about technology it's nothing about innovation but when capex was king we spent a lot of money on servers because it was cheap it was inexpensive and the finance department could care less so technologists got their wish but the question is to me when we look at 2030 it's not what technology is going to be driving it's what needs of the business are going to drive the technological innovation to be able to solve it first in the clunky way right old you know, data centers or whatever, and as we progress through that, technologists are going to innovate to do it faster, cheaper, and better. But it's still about solving the business problem. And so I asked to your question, Tim, what is the use case for the change that we are appearing to look, that's going to happen in 2030 that, you know, you know, you asked for serverless. I thought serverless was going to be bigger than it is, but the reality is it was driven by who? developers why because they don't want to have to deal with technologies they want to move faster it was the business came to the developers and said how can we move faster to keep up with our customers desires and wants and needs and they said well if i didn't have to worry about infrastructure and i could just deploy my stuff and the infrastructure figure it out then we don't have to take time building that infrastructure but behind serverless there's still infrastructure there's still an endpoint that has to be built
9: yeah I completely agree, Keith. I I mean, the why question is more of a generic question, not taking aside one direction or the other, but to your point about serverless, I mean, is it, is it that serverless was adopted because it was a stopgap and it was a, it was a convenient and clever solution, or is it because it truly is an amazing platform to be able to, or architecture to build upon, and we could see that playing out into the future. And I think, the answer will take you in different places, but I would subscribe more to the former than the latter because the latter suggests that there was, there was a whole lot of uh, correlation that took place and that generally doesn't happen in this industry. Okay, so,
8: so let's just be clear that the, the motivation of either making money or saving money is never gonna change by 2030 and that's totally fine. That's the context in which we uh, operate as architects and builders of technology solutions. End of story. So, so the use case—the use case for serverless—is kind of like a—that's kind of like a, a weird question to kind of pose because it—it's it, highly dependent. It's highly dependent on what it is you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. So, I don't think you can take like a big, a big question, a broad swath question like that. and Say, well, what's the use case? Um, it is highly dependent. So here's what I, here's what I will say. What I will say is that the origin of serverless as a concept from Amazon Web Services was born the same way. This was about AWS trying to generate greater return on capitalized assets, servers in a data center. Serverless functions as a service does that. It does that because they're able to monetize, uh, they're able to oversubscribe a a single server uh, to a far greater degree than they can with virtual machines. It's really that simple. So serverless is a great product if you can drive adoption for it. I'm happy, I'm here saying that I don't think serverless in the context of centralized clouds is really where that technology is going to find its stride. I don't believe that. I don't believe you're going to see wide-scale adoption of serverless uh, over other technologies in a centralized data center. All
0: right, I'm, we need to we need to wrap. I wanted to give Mark the last word and then tee us up for a, a maybe. Maybe Mark, can you tee us up for next week's conversation in your in your, your in a closing thought? Um,
7: I apologize. I don't even remember what next week's conversation is. <laughs> <laughs> next, uh, we, haven't, Burger, we haven't figured Burger, out Burger King we, or
10: McDonald's. We yeah. haven't, we, McDonald's haven't out, we haven't figured Hamer out. We haven't figured out
7: the
0: I've I've been I've been skipping stone on this skipping stone. So it, you know what we come out of from this week to me is where we go next week. Um, okay. And, well, I, and,
7: I, I I don't I don't know whether this would feed into a conversation in and of itself, but I um I think of um a couple of things based on what everybody's been saying. And um, I don't know, you know, obviously, I don't know if any of us know uh, whether uh, any single one of us is right or wrong. Um, but I think there's a, a a point that's critical for us to consider. Uh, and it does go back to what John said most recently about cost. I don't think that's ever a dynamic that's gonna, um, that can be ignored Um, uh, in the relationship between a delivery of a service and the CFO in any company. I don't think you can ignore it. You can ignore it for a period of time when things look great, but the minute things go down, the CFO will be looking for cost savings opportunities. And if that cost savings opportunity is saying, Larry, I need you to build the email server because it'll be cheaper if you run it, even though it's not your core competency, then that's exactly what Larry will fucking do. So the, the other thing is that we're, I think, we're not, and I don't know if this is a problem per se, I just think it's an interesting dynamic, is that we're not um, taking into a consideration that technology is not an afterthought portion of a business in 2030. If anything any of us believe in is true about business and digital transformation, then the average business in 2030 will be 30 or 40% technology driven from a finance standpoint. What does that do? Well, certainly it pushes for greater automation and greater speed, but it also means that the line for impact on revenue and value is is much easier to notice when you're spending 30% of your revenue on the cost of technology. Call it engineering, call it the IT department, call it a combination, but PayPal pays 40% of their cost to technology. And if the vast majority of companies go from three to 5% to 10 to 25%, then the dynamic of, of why they buy and how they have to plan for their future is gonna change significantly between now and 2030.
3: Make money, save money. Yeah, but that, that, that the division of the technology spend is so broad in terms of the SaaS versus the internal sure. spend, uh, but worth discussing.
0: Wow, what a great conversation. Thank you for joining us for the Cloud 2030 podcast. As always, I learn a lot in these conversations, and more importantly, come away thinking about things. If you want to jump in and be part of these conversations, uh, just join us, the2030.cloud. This is an open format, so you can bring your ideas, ask questions. Uh, Questions are always the best way to me. uh, And also, if you have ideas and thoughts, we want to hear them. So jump in.